Alrighty, my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome, just like Josh said a little bit earlier. I encourage you to fill out a Connect card if you haven't done that yet. It's just a way for you uh, to kind of make your presence known. And so I don't know if you're going to get acoustic Lyle today. I don't even know what acoustic Lyle would be since we kind of have an acoustic set. And, you know, so I guess I could have brought a stool out here and sat on a stool. Uh, I just don't think that would have lasted very long. I'm, yeah. So I tried that a little while when I was in student ministry. You know, it's kind of the cool thing to do back in the day to kind of come sit out on the stool and have a conversation. And I just didn't last very long with that. I'd get into my intro and I'd stand up and I'd start sweating and yelling and screaming. It's like, all right, I'm not acoustic. I'm just Lyle. So here you go. All right. So I'll try to keep it a little calmer because we are acoustic. But all right. So thanks for laughing. You guys are very, very encouraging. So if you got a Bible, uh, I encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew's um, the first gospel in our New Testament, so come the second half of the, of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a red one in front of you. Uh, you can jump in it there, or you can use the, the passage scriptures in your bulletin as well as on the screen. So uh, as you're looking there, just a couple things. First of all, uh, we, today is kind of what we call Next Step Sunday. Just a, And what do we mean by that is simply as you came in, you probably saw a lot of different little tables uh, where we have different ministries that we have offered here in our church. And we're just asking people to uh, to go by there, maybe talk to a ministry leader, and find a way for you to step in and serve. So one of the identities that we have here at our church is we, we call ourselves servants. So it's not, serving's not just what we do, it's actually who we are. And so uh, the way we kind of exercise that muscle, that identity of serving uh, is through what we do as a family here. And so I just want to encourage you, find a place to plug in, find a place to serve. Uh, you don't have to be gifted, so to speak. We want you to use your gifts here. Uh, but we kind of put a priority on usefulness versus using your gift because they're just things that in a family like we have here, things need to get done. You know, uh, I, I like coffee, so I like people that get here. I love people that get here early in the morning and make me some coffee. Amen. And so that just doesn't happen. We don't have, we're not Jesus. Can't just like, coffee. You know, um, thank you for the little bit of laughter. So just encourage you to go out there and check out some of the tables. The second thing that we have today is we have called, something called Sojourn in 10, which we do this about monthly. Uh, which is a 10-minute introduction to Sojourn Community Church for those people that are new or uh, maybe you've been coming a few times and just want to find out a little bit more about who we are. And so um, I just, this is the Sunday for you to do that. You can walk out these doors, go out in the Connect Room. Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about what we're about, give you a chance to meet some of the leaders here at Sojourn. I uh, promise to keep you uh, 10 minutes just to get away for you to get a little more familiar about what we're about. So that's for first-time guests or if you've been here for a few Sundays and just want to kind of explore. Uh, we promise we won't do anything weird, all right? So that's what's going on today. So I encourage you, yeah, find a place to step in, uh, go by, check out the ministry tables, or come hang out with us for 10 minutes after the service is over. And so as you can tell, as you walked in this morning, we're spending um, the next several weeks uh, working through parables. This will take us all the way up to Easter, and we've kind of divided these up into three big groups. So we're going to do parables of money, uh, parables of the kingdom, and parables of judgment. And so uh, if you come in here this morning, first time, and maybe you invited a guest, and you saw on the the bulletin, we're talking about money today, and sometimes money can, can, can do all kinds of weird stuff with us and cause a lot of weird emotions that, that happen to us, all right? And so here's my, uh, sort of my disclaimer for us. Uh, we are a church, and I want to be a pastor who doesn't shy away from talking about money, and the reason why is because, number one, Jesus talked about it a whole lot. And so I want to be a, a pastor, I want to be a church uh, that genuinely focuses on who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he also taught. And Jesus talked a ton about money. And so 
I would be doing you a disservice, and we wouldn't be a very Jesus-centered church if we never talked about money. Secondly, the reason why I want to talk about it is because our loves follow our money. Are you following that? Like, our loves, what we love, money kind of goes there. So if you, if you, whatever you get interested in, your money kind of follows that. And if you want your love and your interest to kind of, you know, blossom into something, you begin to give to that. And my desire for you is that your love for Jesus would grow, that your love for the church would grow, that your love to see the message of Jesus Christ spread would grow. And we are fooling ourselves, all right? And so here's Acoustic Lyle's kind of gone out of the, the door here, all right? We're fooling ourselves if we think we can leave our money untouched and think our, our love for the things of God is going to grow. It won't. As long as you think I can just kind of do whatever I want to with my, with my money and, and, and think that my love for the things of God is going to grow, it, it will not because your loves follow what you give to. And so... Like, I want to talk about money because I want your love for Jesus to grow. I want your love for eternal things to grow. I want you to value what is of value on this earth, and that is the kingdom of God. And so you have to talk about money if you're going to do that. And so today, though, so kind of give you a little breather. We're going to talk more broad, all right? Today's more broad. And so, yes, I think the, the parable is about money, but it's not just about money. So more broad today, and we'll get a little bit more narrow over the next two Sundays, and that doesn't mean, okay, I won't come next two Sundays. No, please come back, all right, because I think there's a lot of application for all of us. The other thing, so I feel like I'm giving a lot of disclaimers, and that's okay. You guys indulge me really well. The other thing is this. Sometimes um, in preaching, it's really, uh, it's really difficult, and, and here's why it's difficult. I got, I'm aware, first of all, of all the spiritual interest that's going on in this room. Like, we've got people that roll in here on Sundays that are fired up, love Jesus, had an awesome week, and are ready for conviction, challenge, to make the next step, whatever it is. And then we've got the other spectrum of people in here that are skeptical, asking questions, probably doubt about 90% of what I'm saying, you know, not sure what the church is, and maybe even, unfortunately, been wounded and hurt by the church. So we've, we've got that kind of spectrum that I'm I'm trying by God's grace to speak to and be aware of every single Sunday. Not only do we have these different spiritual interests, but we also have people in different seasons of life. So we've got people in seasons of life where things are going really well for them. Seasons of life where, where everything's kind of clicking. All the prayers are being answered. Things are awesome. And, and it's kind of like you come into a Sunday morning in that season of life ready for like a punch in the gut. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, give it to me, Lyle. You know, bring your, bring your heat. I'm ready for it. You know, I'm having an awesome season of life. I'm ready to be challenged. I'm ready to be convicted. I'm ready to step into work. So that, that's, that's a season of life for some people. And others of you, you're rolling in here and you need a season of rest. You're tired. You're exhausted. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. You're done with the manufactured energy that you deal with in church life, and you just like, wow, I just, I need to come and just have a season of rest. And so I, I say that because I want to be sensitive to those people that are in that season, right? I do want to be a place where you can come in your brokenness and feel like, all right, I belong here. I do want to be a place where you can come in a season of real pain and difficulty, and you just need to receive and rest. I want that, all right? I do. But understand that as we step into these parables, like they're pretty convicting. They're pretty challenging. And it will feel like a punch in the gut. Because that's kind of what Jesus is doing with parables. He's trying to help us see 
not only what the kingdom of God is like, but how are we to live in this new life? What does it look like for us to, to work, to live, to do this? And so, so if you're in a season where you need to rest, I, I pray you receive this as like, hey, this is okay to rest. It's okay. All right, receive that. But also hear the Holy Spirit hopefully tugging on your heart going, look, but there's still work to do. Yeah, receive rest, but know that, that the Spirit of God wants to bring healing in your soul so that you can step in and do the unfinished work of the church. Yes, the finished work of Jesus is done, but the work of the church is not done. So I want to be a kind of a both-and church where we're stepping in, right? There are thousands of people in the city of Louisville that do not know Jesus. And I want to be a church that step in, steps into that work. But at the same time, I want to be a church that realizes we live in an overchurched area, and we've got a lot of people coming in here on Sunday mornings that are just done. They are burned out. And I want to be a place for rest also. So sometimes I don't do that great, but the Spirit of God does, right? And so sometimes I can say things, and the Spirit of God does things with it that I don't, I don't even know what he's doing, but he's doing it. And that's what we're going to trust today, all right? Cool, that's my intro, all right? So... Hopefully you're engaged and ready to go. I don't have any golf clubs today. Sorry. Didn't bring any cool golf clubs or any awesome illustrations today. We just got the word of God. Amen. That's enough. Amen. So, all right. Let's, <laughs> let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. There's a couple things as we dive in to these parables that we need to be reminded of. Parables are kind of short, simple stories. Um, but they're not simplistic, right? Sometimes they're kind of complex. It's kind of hard to understand what's going on in some of these stories. And, and Jesus had to, actually had to explain his followers, you know, what, what, what's going on here. And usually these parables are kind of bringing out one truth. You've got to be careful to not try to bring a truth out in every single detail of a parable because that's not the point. You could get a little squirrely <laughs> and get a little jacked up if you try to bring out some specific doctrinal points out of every single detail in a parable. He's not trying to make every detail a truth. He's, he's trying to bring out a general truth here. And so, uh, Lord willing, that's what we're kind of going for today. And my desire for us today is to talk about faithfulness, because I do think that's what this parable is about. It's about faithfulness. So hear the word of the Lord. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, and gave five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five, said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid 
And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I'm not sown and gather where I'm not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you'd, you'd help us that whenever our emotions get stirred about a passage of Scripture where it feels like, wow, what, man, it's a little harsh. May it show us that there's something wrong with us, not something wrong with the words of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be a people that humble ourselves under the Word of God and not set ourselves above the Word of God. That's an awful place to be. So Spirit, we need you. Please teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here, here's kind of what's going on here in this parable. This, this Actually, this parable here is the last of three. There's, there's one at the very end of chapter 24. There's one at the beginning of chapter 25. And the one that we just got done reading. And so this parable is being taught by Jesus toward the end of his life. And the reason why he's doing this parable, or these three kind of in, in order at the end of his life, is because he's trying to help his disciples, his closest followers of Jesus, of himself, to kind of understand this idea of the kingdom of God has arrived. So in the disciples' mindset is that they believe that the kingdom of God has arrived, and they're ready for Jesus to take over, right? They're just... They're kind of waiting for the moment when Jesus is going to step in and begin to kick some Roman butt. That's what they want. Like, set your rule, set your reign. Let's get back to the glory days of David. Let's make this happen right now. That's, that's the disciples' mindset. If you remember in our Acts series, if you remember even in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus died, he rose again, and he taught them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, they still were clueless. It's like, is this the time? Is this the time you're going to go in, bring your army, and we're going to start taken over. Like, is this is? This is when the kingdom of God is going to come. So what was absent from their mind is an idea that Jesus would be absent. Are you following me? What was foreign for the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ in this time was this idea that there was going to be a period of time when Jesus was no longer going to be with them. And so then therefore Jesus is trying to prepare them for his departure by laying out these three little parables. And one of the common themes that we see in all three of these parables is that there's an individual, a master, the bridegroom, a master again here, who is gone, who leaves, who is absent. And so what Jesus is trying to do here is trying to say, okay, like then, how do you live as a follower of Jesus Christ during this time in which I'm absent? I'm not with you. And so so you gotta, you got to see this. Like, we are still living between verses 18 and 19. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Verses 18 and 19, we're living in that moment. Jesus has not come back. And so the teaching of this parable is relevant to these disciples as it is 
for us also. And so look, look what's going on here. Verse 14 kind of tells us there's a man who's getting ready to go on a journey. He gathers all of his servants, and he begins to entrust them with his possessions. Look what he says in verse 15. To the man, to the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent. Each, it's very important to see this, each according to his ability. And then what did he do? He went on, went on his journey. And so a talent in this time is an enormous amount of money. It's about 20 years of wages is what it is. And so if you want to kind of compare that to, to our time, it's a half a million dollars. One talent is a half a million dollars. So that's a lot of money, right? That's, that's a, so the one guy who has one talent is getting an enormous amount of money, a half a million dollars. And so it, so it kind of shows you the, the graciousness, the generosity of this, of this master who's willing to give such a large, enormous amount of money to these three servants. A half a million dollars is what the one servant is given that has one talent. So we see a little bit of the generosity and the graciousness of, of this master. Now why? Why the discrepancy, right? Why five talents for one? Why two talents for the other? Why one talent? Well, it's not favoritism. It's not because, well, I like the guy with five talents, so the girl with five talents, a whole lot more. They, they're kind to me, right? <laughs> or whatever. It's not favoritism. It's actually a window into the goodness of the master, isn't it? Because he gave each one according to their ability. See, look, guys, a good boss, a good master knows his employees well enough to what is an appropriate challenge. That's what a good boss is. They know the, their employees' abilities and their capacities well enough to where they give an appropriate challenge. A harsh boss is like Pharaoh. I want you to still produce the same amount of bricks, but I'm not going to give you straw and mud and hay. You're going to go do that yourself. That's a harsh, hard master. That's not this guy. He's gracious, he's generous, a large sum of money, and he's good because he gave them a talents according to their capacity, according to their ability. So look what happens here in verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money and gained five more. So also the one with two talents, he gained two more. And so the way that this is written, this is, a, this is joy, like there's an eagerness to go and take what the master has given to them, these, this gift that they've given to them to go put it at work. There's not this drudgery of like, oh, I gotta go to work. No, there's a, there's a joy. They, they're, they're excited about going. They went at once, immediately, and put their money to work. And then verse 18, however, there's a contrast. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, we know that that was not good, but when Jesus is telling a story, originally, they, they don't know. Is that bad? Is that good? Is it okay? I mean, I guess it's sort of fine to go dig a hole and stick the money in there. It's not going to get lost or whatever, so is this okay? And so, so yeah, we only see the, what happens with this later on. But notice here, guys, most commentators will tell us that, that it wouldn't be a difficult thing for them to double their money. It's not necessarily that these two guys went out and did some kind of risky investment. Most commentators said, no, they just went and worked their gift. That's what they did. They went and, and put to work the gift that they had been given. So therefore, it wouldn't have been extremely difficult for them to double their gift or double their money, but it just required work. It required effort. It required, ah, I got to go use what has been given to me. 
And so look what happens here in verse 19. So after a long time, so 18, they get their work in it. 19, remember that we live in between verses 18 and 19? After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle the accounts. And in verse 20, the man who had received the five talents, what did he do? He brought the other five. He said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents, so, so I've gained five more. And then the master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. We see that with the same thing with the two, two, the guy got two talents. He went and made two more. And the master said the very same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of a lot of things. Come and share in my happiness. Now notice here, guys, notice that, that it isn't about the amount that was earned, Right? It's not about how much each one earned because both of them got affirmed the same way. It doesn't matter how much they earned with it. It matters in how they used their gift, how they put to work the generosity of this master, the kind of potential of which they, they, they brought out from the gift. All right, so, so you follow me? There wasn't like a discrepancy here. Both were affirmed the same way. The other thing, too, is interesting is that the way that this is written, too, is there's an eagerness of these two servants to come to the master and say, look what I've done with what you've given to me. It's similar to what if you've got, you know, kids and sojourn kids, sometimes they'll have you, you know, draw something or whatever it is, and, and your, your child with joy will come and find you and say, look what I drew today. Like, look what, I, what, what, what picture it is. And you as a mom or a dad, if you're a healthy mom and dad, you're going to look at that, right? And you're going to go, like, healthy, not physically, but hopefully emotionally, spiritually, immensely. But you're going to look at that and I go, that's stupid, that's dumb. You colored outside the lines there. You should have done that. No, you as a mom and dad in a healthy way are going to say, that's beautiful, right? It's awesome. And, and, you, and your child loves that kind of affirmation. Well, that's sort of the scene you want to picture here. They're excited about the master's return. They're eager to show what they did with the work, the gifts that he had given. But what happened to the third servant? Well, look, verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Well, he didn't lose it, right? Is it really that bad? I mean, you know, he didn't go out and squander it in wild living, you know, kind of like the, the prodigal son did in Luke chapter 15. He just put it in a hole, right? And actually kind of, here's your half a million dollars back. You know, I'm just giving you back what belongs to you. I didn't squander it or waste it. Here you go. It's interesting. Look what the master says here. But the master replied and said this, you wicked, you wicked, lazy servant. So wickedness is not just about breaking the law of God. It actually is also about not using your gift to its fullest potential. Wickedness is not just breaking some moral law of God. It's also about what you're not doing, not just what you are doing. You follow me? You lazy, wicked servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown, gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then 
you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it with interest. So, so some people want to take this parable and emphasize the idea that, the, that the, the one talent servant played it safe while the other two servants went after risk. And I want to say that may be a part of it, but that's not the main emphasis here because the master's going, look, if you wanted to play it safe, and it actually might be safer to do this, go put it in a bank. At least my money would have drawn interest. I don't know about you, but put my money in a hole, digging it in the ground. Sometimes I forget where my keys are, right? I, mean, I could very well forget where that is. Or a, or a thief could have came by and dug a hole and found the, this half a million dollars, right? It's, it's not about the risk. It's more about the use and the work of what's been given. It goes on, 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has Ten talents for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I don't know about you, when I, when I first read this, and I've read this parable several times, but one of the things that came to me when I was reading this is, I noticed my emotions, and I felt like, man, this is a little harsh, right? And maybe you felt like that even as I read the text this morning. Man, this is, this is a little over the top. Come on. But there's a thing called grace, right? Isn't there a second chance? I mean, he didn't lose it. He just, he just kind of giving you back what you had. Like, man, this just seems really hard. And, and just like I, I said in my prayer, and what I asked the Lord to do in my heart is this, is if Whenever my first emotional response is, wow, this is hard, this is really harsh, then, then I want to make sure that, wow, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with the word. Actually, maybe there's something wrong with me, that the Spirit of God is revealing something in my own heart that's a little off. And it's not in line with what God says here. Because look, guys, look, look, look what's happening here. This servant is doing exactly what Adam did in Genesis chapter 3. And what I mean by that is this, is that in Genesis chapter 3, Adam blames God for his sin. You remember this? It says in there, look, the reason why I ate this fruit is because of the woman that you gave me. Like, it wasn't my idea to create Eve. Boom, that was your idea, right? I was doing quite fine on my own. Matter of fact, but you decided to bring this woman on the scene and this woman that you gave me made me eat this fruit. And so all of a sudden now it's God's fault for Adam's sin. And this is exactly what this servant is doing. That's why it's so wicked. This servant is saying this, I know who you are and this knowledge made me do what I did. I'm actually the victim here. I'm, he's blaming the master for his own actions. You're a hard, harsh man, and that knowledge is what made me do what I do. And we know that that's not true about this master, is it? This master is extremely generous. Half a million dollars is a lot of money, right? To give that to them to invest and to work, that's a, that's a generous master. Boy, thank you very much, right? It's not like a buck. A buck's like, come on, a buck, right? And not only is he generous, he's good. He's not harsh. He gave them what they could handle. He gave them what 
their capacity was. And so look, for this, for this man to come and say, the reason why I didn't do it is your fault. Look, he didn't do anything with his stuff because he didn't want to do anything with his stuff. He's a lazy wicked servant who is unchanged by the generosity of his master. You following me? He is absolutely unchanged by the generosity of his master. And how do we know that he's unchanged by the generosity of master? Because of what he did with the gift that the master had given to him. He did nothing with it. So therefore, it's evidence of an unchanged heart before the generosity and the graciousness of the master. Please Hear me, and we say this often around here, and I'll say it till I die. Grace precedes work. Grace precedes work, and it does in this parable. This parable doesn't start off with the guys going to work. This parable starts off with the master being generous, extremely generous. Grace always precedes work, but there's another emphasis that I want you to hear. Grace always precedes work work. Grace is never against effort. It's always against earning. Grace is is the means by which work is empowered. It hates it when we try to earn something. So yes, I I get that that's still kind of strong. The language that we see here is kind of strong here. I'm still struggling with that. Well, hear me, guys. This is what you got to hear from this, is that we can't make every little detail that we see in this parable and make some kind of doctrinal statement about what judgment's going to be like. That's not the point of this parable. But the strong language here is to force us, to, to make us think, to reflect, to look at the whole of this parable and say, okay, what is the question that Jesus is asking that he wants to force you and me to think on? And that question is this, how am I being faithful with what I've been given? How am I being faithful with what I have been given? Look guys, this whole parable is about faithfulness. It's the running theme. You can go home and read these other three parables. It's the running theme throughout all three of them, faithfulness. When the, when the servants came and showed their, their prophet, what did the master say? What did he say? Well done, good, and what? Say it out loud. Faithful servant. You have been what? Faithful with much, with little. So I'm going to give you a charge over a lot. So look, it doesn't say well done, good, and risky servant. That's not what it says. Yes, faithfulness may involve risk, but risk is not the object of the point of this parable. It doesn't say well done, good, and godly servant. No, it says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so if the call of our lives and the question that God wants us to ask about this parable is, how am I being faithful to what I have been given? Then therefore, what are the two requirements for faithfulness that we see in this text? If the call of my life is to be faithful, then what are the two kind of like prerequisites, so to speak, to faithfulness that's being called on my life in this text. And so I want to give you two of them. And I think they're all rooted in this passage of Scripture. And these are two kind of like truths that we don't just give mental assent to, but we also have to embody these truths. So here they are. Number one is this. You've got to recognize that all that you've been given, 
is a gift from God. You've got to recognize that you have been a recipient of the generosity, the lavish generosity of God. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, all of humanity, so to speak, in this parable is represented of the three servants there. They, all of us in this room, have been a recipient of the lavish, overabundant generosity of God. All I have, all that you have, is a gift. All of it. And so, like, let's make a list. Your abilities. The way that your mind works. Some of you guys in here can see things in ways that no one else can see them. Some of you have a a natural ability to kind of pick up things quickly. Some of you can do things with chemistry and physics and and all like all this. And, and, And all of that, yes, some of that is your training and your work. But a lot of that is your natural gifting. Your ability is a gift from God. Your your place of living. Yeah, I know that, well, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, I made a decision to roll into Louisville and this is how all that worked out. I, I hear that. But there's a whole lot that's going on behind the scenes that you didn't control that landed you in Louisville. Not just the place that you live, but the time in which you live. And you think about like how different your life would be if you were born in 1918? So did you have a choice and? And living in this time, did you like make a decision? Hey, I, I want to be in the 2000s because that's going to be the time when internet hits, right? And I want to make sure I got the internet. Like, I know I'm being kind of silly here, but the time in which you live is a gift, a sound mind. Like, we don't know how much a sound mind is a gift until our mind is no longer sound, right? where the chemicals are not working properly. A sound, healthy mind is a gift. Your health. Oh my goodness, how many of you have been like punched in the gut with the flu this year for crying out loud, right? It's crazy. And it's only in those moments that you're laying in bed or on a couch, feeling like you can't even get up, do you realize that, wow, my health is a gift. It was only when I couldn't stand up without almost passing out that an undizzy head is a gift for crying out loud, right? My job, my work, my money, all the resources that are at my disposal. Guys, look, look at me, look. They're a gift. And if I don't recognize them as a gift, I will not be faithful. And I get there's ways that you can look at life way different. You can look at life as like, you know, everything that I have is earned. You can. That all that you got is your hard work, what you earn in your lifetime. Yeah, you, you can do that. And if I was sitting down having a conversation with you, all right, I would push a little bit because I think that the end of that, if you really look at all of your stuff as something that you earn, I think it leads to living that is tight-fisted, that is hoarding, that is, that'll actually lead you into slavery with your stuff, create a lot of anxiety and war in your life. And I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a really exciting, wonderful, fun life. 
Yeah, I get that you can also look at life as kind of like, like chance and fate, karma. That, you know, I rolled in in 2018 just out of chance. You know, I got these gifts and these abilities and these talents just out of like kind of fate. And I would say that takes a huge step of faith right there. For you, for you to think that it's just fate that you weren't born in the 1800s. That takes a huge step of faith. But you can see life like that. You can. But I think it also leads to this kind of like, you know, if it's just fate and chance and I can do whatever I want to because, you know, it's kind of my stuff. I'm not going to be held accountable to any of that. So then therefore I can just do whatever I want to. And that just leads to self-indulgence. And I would argue that the miserable life is a life that's lived for yourself. So you can choose there, but I think the end game is you'll find that this life is really miserable because life was not meant for you to live selfishly. But Christianity has a whole different way of viewing this. Christianity comes along to see and see and says, you know what? Everything is a gift. Everything is, 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 is from this Father who is so gracious and generous. And all of us in this room have been a recipient of this Father who's lavishly gifted with all things. And so when I get that, then it inspires joy in the gift. Instead of that gift enslaving me, I'm able to enjoy the gift. This idea that, that we, we have to toss the gift away because I don't want my love for God to be, you know, you know comparable to this gift. So I'm just throwing that gift out there because I want God above all things. I'm just going, that's just kind of nutty and crazy. Actually, God's created us in such a way to where how we enjoy the gift shows how much we love God. It's just like as a parent. Like, you, you, you give your kids a gift. It's like you don't want them to just throw it out and say, I love you, Dad, above all things, even this gift that you gave to me. Right? No, there's a way in which my son enjoys a gift that brings joy to my heart and actually shows how much he loves me. And so yes, when I recognize that all is a gift, it inspires me to enjoy that gift, but it doesn't stay there. It also inspires generosity. When I recognize that all of life is a gift, it inspires joy in the gift, and it then inspires an open-handedness to where I want to be a blessing to other people because all of life is a gift. All of it is. It's not mine. And I just want to say it's a better way of living. It's a better way of living. So faithfulness requires that we see ourselves as those servants in the first of the chapter, recognizing that all I have is a gift, all of it. And I'm here to tell you guys, look, it kind of goes back to a little bit last week. Look, there are not rhythms in your day where you're expressing gratitude for what has been given to you. Look, you're being shaped by this culture to say it's mine. I own it. But if you're putting rhythms in your day to where you're expressing gratitude and saying, God, thank you, then I got a sound mind today. God, thank you. I know I don't love my job. Oh, man, it's hard sometimes. But thank God I've got a job so I can provide for my family. Got to thank you that I'm, that I'm healthy. Like, thank you for that. And get up today without, you know, passing out or not hanging over the toilet and throwing up today. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, like, all of that is a gift. 
Faithfulness requires that we recognize that all we have is a gift. Secondly, and this is where it gets a little, a little dicey sometimes, all right? So secondly, the truth we got to recognize is this, is that I will give an account for how I used my gift. I will give an account for how I use my gift. Faithfulness requires not only me recognize that all of life is a gift, all I have, it also requires that I recognize that I will give an account for how I use my gift. Look, guys, like I said, we live in verses, between verses 18 and 19. Jesus has not come back yet. But when Jesus comes back, and I don't want to dive into this too much because we're going to be spending several weeks in judgment, which I'm sure you're really excited about and can't wait to have that season of time. But we will be spending some time in there. But I want to say this, like, like, like you got to recognize that Jesus is going to come back, and when he comes back, he's going to settle accounts. Judgment is coming. And so if you're not a Christian, then, then my desire for you is not that you know, I scare you out of hell. You know, that's not kind of my desire. I, mean, I remember several years ago and youth ministries would, you know, build their little haunted house where they make people go through and they show what hell's going to be like. And then they, you know, get everybody in the room and they're freaking out. They're white. They're just crying and they share the gospel. Who wants to say yes to Jesus tonight? I'm going, dude, I'd say yes to Jesus every time after walking through there, right? Like I got saved like 20 times in the midst of all that. You, you follow me? That's not what my desire is here but I do want you to heed the warning. The New Testament writer said, look, guys, this is a day, Jesus is never slow on his promises, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So today is a day of salvation. And yeah, that day is really long, but today is the day of salvation because he's not come back yet. Judgment is coming. And so if you're not a Christian here, Heed the warning. This is your opportunity to receive Jesus so that he can take your judgment for you. He's coming back to settle accounts. The reason why you want justice for other people is evidence that judgment is coming. It's in our nature. And so today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is. Trust him. Put your faith in Jesus. Take him so his judgment will be put, your judgment will be placed completely and fully on him. But if you're a Christian here, then look, guys, it's not, the, the judgment of Jesus is not there to kind of cause us to be scared or, or whatever. I would say it's an empowering promise for us in this life. Because look, look, guys, we have, if you're in Christ, you have no fear of punishment. Are you following me? No fear of punishment whatsoever. It is, when Jesus hung on the cross, it was finished. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are done away with. Completely done away with. All the punishment that you deserve for those sins have been exhausted completely and fully on Jesus. You have no fear of being punished when Jesus comes back. Nor do you need to have any fear of shame coming in there. I don't know about you. I used to I grew up in a traditional you know, church where they talked about, you know, there's going to be a big screen that, that rolls down in judgment, and he's going to show all the horrible things that you did. Like, I don't know about you. That sounds like a really shameful event. 
And it says in the Gospels that Jesus bore our shame. Our God is a good God, a loving God, a kind God. He's not going to pull the rug out and you go, ah, that was a lie. <laughs> Here's what's really going to happen, right? No. That's not what he's going to do in that moment. All of your shame has been spent completely and fully and dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. So then, therefore, look, guys, look. If I don't have fear of punishment or fear of pain, then what is the idea that Jesus is coming back to judge, to settle accounts? What does it do for me as a follower of Jesus Christ? It's fuel. It empowers faithfulness. Because faithfulness in a broken, fallen world often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. The idea that Jesus is coming back to settle accounts for those who are in Christ is fuel for us to stay the course because faithfulness in a broken world often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. That's why the writer of Proverbs says this, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Because faithfulness in a broken world often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. So caring for an elderly parent, there's not a lot of high fives there. There's not a lot of pat on the butts there. <laughs> That's kind of weird, sorry. <laughs> it's hard work. It's hard work. And it often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. Caring for a special needs child, it's hard work. It's work that often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. Staying in a marriage that's not very fulfilling, it's hard work. Not coming in here going, man, it's awesome, great job, high five, right? You don't, you don't hear that a lot, right? Staying in a job that seems like a dead-end job, but you need to provide for the, fa the family, it's, it's unrewarding. It often goes unnoticed. The kindness that you display to your neighbor, the kind of stuff that you absorb in your family, the kind of ways that you're taken for granted, undermined. Faithfulness in this world in this life, in a broken, fallen world, often goes unnoticed and unrewarded. And I don't know about you, but the promise that Jesus is coming back is the fuel to stay the course. Because Jesus sees. He sees the smallest act of love. Just helping your kid tie their shoes, right? Wiping their bottom holding your wife's hair while they're throwing up in the toilet, right? Like, Jesus sees all of that. And he says, I'm going to reward you greatly. Don't you find it interesting that when the master comes back, he says, I've given you oversight over small things, like little things. You remember that? It's like, I don't know about you, but a half a million dollars doesn't seem little. That's kind of big, right? So why does the master say that? It's in comparison to what they're going to be in charge of. 
the greatness of what they're going to be doing is so big that a half a million dollars seems little. Your small act of love, whatever it is, that goes unnoticed and unrewarded does not go unnoticed with Jesus. He sees it. And he will reward you greatly. And I don't know about you, but I need that. If I'm going to be faithful and stay the course, I need to know that Jesus is coming back to settle accounts. And if I'm in Christ, that doesn't cause fear, it's fuel. Because all these things that I've been at work, and it's God at work in me, that no one else sees, no one else pats you on the back, no one else gives you a raise for, no one else gives you promotion for, Jesus sees it. And he will reward you greatly for it. So how do I... How do I stay faithful? Like, how do I stay the course here? How do I be faithful with the gifts that God has given to me? Look, guys, you, you have to embody the truth that all that you've been given is a gift. All of it. You're not an owner, you're a steward. And you've also got to embody the truth that, that Jesus is going to come back and you're going to give an account for what you did with a gift. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, that should not paralyze you. It should fuel and give you empowerment to stay the course because Jesus sees and he will reward you greatly. So how, how am I being faithful with what God has given me? Let's pray together.